Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Second Kings chapter 4. What an awesome passage. I hope you're ready to take some notes because I got some things to say today. We're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 7. Second Kings chapter 4 verse 1. And it reads this way. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out, to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, not gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you, and your sons then pour it into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went in from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her sons, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. I believe God's going to speak to us out of this passage today. What do you think? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again to come before your word. Lord, I thank you that the Bible declares that the entrance of your word gives light. I thank you today, God, for light entering into the hearts of all who hear these words this morning. Lord, bring clarity into the confusion that the enemy has tried to put and displace into our lives. We trust you this morning, Jesus, and we ask you to speak to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So this is, in my estimation, an absolutely amazing passage. And... One of my favorite examples, biblically, of the concept that we've been talking about since last week. This idea of our faith and our hope coming together to bring about a miraculous transformation in our lives. The Old Testament, if you study it, is full of examples of God being God. We talk about miracles and stuff in the New Testament as though miracles were only a New Testament thing. Y'all need to go back and read the Old Testament. Good Lord. There's, apart from Jesus himself, there's nobody in Scripture had more miraculous encounters with God than Moses. It's incredible. And then you've got Elijah and Elisha, his servant. There is just page after page after page of God doing amazing God things in the lives of his people. And the Bible says that the Old Testament was written for our instruction. 
Meaning that there's things when we read them in the Old Testament, we're supposed to be able to look at them and see some principles that come out of them. We're supposed to be able to look at what happens in the Old Testament and it needs to do two things. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament, you need to keep these two things in mind. Number one, how is what I'm reading pointing me to Jesus? Because the book of Hebrews is very clear and very explicit that everything in the Old Testament that happened to the Old Covenant was a, was a law and a tutor a, a, to bring us to Christ. So everything that we read in the Old Testament should be showing us and displaying Jesus to us. Does that make sense? And secondly, it's written for our uh, admonition, the scripture says. It's written for our example. So the second thing I need to think of when I'm reading the Old Testament is what example is being laid out for me here that I can learn from and put into practice in my own life. Does it make sense? So when we, when we watch how Elisha operates in this story and then how the woman, the, the, the widow, the widow woman, since we're in the mountains, <laughs> when we watch the widow woman and we watch what she did, we should be able to learn some things about this. So I want to go down through these seven verses, and it's amazing. Each verse is like a sermon unto itself. It's just incredible the, the amount of principles that are coming out of this passage. So can we look at that together? Let's go one at a time. Verse one says, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And now the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be a slave. In the Mosaic Hebrew tradition of that day, if a man and his family were in debt and the husband died, the debtor, the, or excuse me, the collector, the creditor, had the right to come in and demand payment. And if payment couldn't be made, and the debt couldn't be settled that way, he had the right to say, well, I'm going to take your children and put them to work until this debt is settled. It was very cut and dry. There was no gray areas. And, and, and so this woman is, is really upset and frustrated and concerned and afraid because she knows my husband's dead. He died with some debts. We trusted the Lord, but now I'm in a pickle because these creditors are going to come and take my kids from me. And then what's going to happen? Well, she might die as a result. She's got nobody to take care of her. They, they walked with the Lord, according to this verse. She said, You're, you know your servant feared the Lord. But now they've experienced great loss. And the, thing that I, the, the overwhelming thing that I take from this first verse is this idea that the devil's always looking for an opportunity to take a bad situation and make it worse. Amen. Notice this, the enemy coming to take from them. This poor lady, think about how, how she must have been. She just lost her husband. Now she's concerned she's going to lose her sons. And if she loses her sons, there's a good chance there's nobody to take care of her, and she might lose her own life. To be a widow in that society was not a bright future. Right? So, so here comes the enemy. He's taken out her family. He's taken out her husband. And now he's looking to take a bad situation and just make it worse. Notice the enemy always steals, kills, and destroys. When something is bad, something bad is happening to your life, you need to know where it's coming from. Amen. 
You need to know where it's coming from. How many of you think God did this to her husband? No indication of that in the scripture. Matter of fact, it's presented the opposite. We feared God. Your servant feared the Lord. And this is what happened. No indication here that God killed this guy at all. No, the Bible's really clear. Jesus set the record straight in John 10.10. I've quoted it a billion times. I'll quote it another billion. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus is speaking, I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. By the way, side note, that's my Easter message. Just prepping you for that. We're going to preach John 10.10. Amen. But notice and understand, it's the enemy who comes, not just to make a, a good situation bad. I mean, he'll do that if he can. But to take a bad situation and make it worse. So why am I talking about this? Because if you're in a bad situation, don't turn loose of your faith thinking that it hasn't worked for you. Double down on what God has said so that God's got something to work with and he can pull you out of that situation. Otherwise, the devil just wants to take a bad situation and make it worse. So when you get into a pickle, you find yourself in the, the shoes of the winter woman. I just love saying that. I'm so sorry. I think the, the, the New Yorker in me finds that funny, I guess. When you find yourself in a jam, don't turn loose. This is not the time to let go of faith. Because the moment you do that, we just give the devil permission to just come in and just hear it. Just, just take this bad situation and ratchet it down and make it even a little worse. Can I tell you that there's never a good time to stop believing? Whew, glory to God, that's true. I mean, Journey said it and they were right. Don't stop. Don't stop believing. Listen, there's never, a, there's never a good time. There's never a logical time. There's never a valid biblical reason for you to stop trusting God. Amen. So let's keep going. Verse 2, what happens? Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? What shall I do for you? You see it on the screen? You see it in your Bible? Notice what he didn't say. What can I do for you? He said, what shall I do for you? Say, what's the difference? Big difference. God is not asking you to define for him what he can do. Rather, he's asking for you to place some expectation on him and answer the question, what do you want him to do for you? I, I, I want to submit to you this morning, Elisha already knew what he could do in that situation. He didn't need her to say, well, I don't know, what do you think? Is your God strong enough to fix this situation? He wasn't inviting her into, you know, uh, a conversation to try to determine what, is the, what are the top three strategies we can use to get out of this jam. 
He, he wasn't asking her to come to the table and, and let's, you know, let's really put our heads together and see, you know, you've, we've, got a, we've got a mess here. We need to figure out how to get out of this mess. Let's really, let's, let's, let's zero in on the issue here and see what we can do to get out of it. This was not that kind of discussion. This was a, what do you want me to do in this situation? Now that takes some serious boldness on behalf of the prophet of God. He didn't say, what do you want God to do? He said, what do you want me to do? He understands he's speaking on behalf of God. He understands he's, he's able to help her out in an instant because God is working through him and through his ministry. So he just says, what do you want him to do? The point is this. When it comes to expectation, don't be afraid to get specific with God about what you want him to do. Don't be afraid. He's a good father. He's a really good father. Amen. Can I submit something to you for a moment? God's not going to be intimidated by your request. Can, let me say it again. Don't be distracted. God's not intimidated by your request of him. Well, I don't know. I, you know, we, we really need $5,000 so that God can, you know, so that we can get this car we need or we really need this so that we don't have to foreclose on our house. And it's, it's a lot of money. God makes planets. You think your budget's impressive? He, does, he makes planets. With his mouth, he just talks, and universes happen. God, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that God breathes stars. You think it's too big of a deal for him to help you get into the right school? Or get the house you need, or get the job that you need? I'm really trusting God for a, bit, for a job. I, I don't know. I don't want to ask him too much. He's God. Like his schedule's full, you know, and I'm just trying to get it, you know, if I could just get on his schedule. Come on, man. He makes planets. He's not impressed with our limitations, and neither is he intimidated by them. Glory to God. So don't be afraid to be specific. God's a good father. Now, the prophet goes on in this verse. Y'all doing okay so far? He goes on in this verse to ask another question. He goes on to say, what have you got in the house? What do you have in your house? I'm here to tell you that no matter what it is that you need from God, he will always use whatever is in your hand just to prove that he's God and he doesn't need anybody else's help. Moses had a staff. David had a sling. This lady had a jar of oil. So insignificant. But God can take literally anything and do a miracle of infinite proportion. The, the miracle is never specific to the power or the potency or the size or the details of the thing that's in your hand. The miracle is always relative to faith and expectation. David killed Goliath with a stone. He could have killed him with a toothpick if that's all that he had. Because it wasn't about the stone. 
It was about the God that got in the stone and killed the giant with it. Moses, all he had was a staff. It wasn't a special staff. It didn't come from some special significant tree that, you know, whatever. Using wood from the Garden of Eden. Ancient secrets. Y'all ever stay up late and watch the goofy infomercials talking about you can get healed from water from the Jordan River and all this kind of stuff? You go fly a kite. <laughs> there wasn't anything special about this oil. It's just that it got in the hands of somebody who was willing to believe and willing to expect. You may not have much, but that's okay. God doesn't need much to work with. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to preach till y'all get happy. I'm just telling you right now. Verse 3, let's keep going. Then he said, this is Elijah, he says, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather, just a few. There's a few things I want to pull out of this. Number one, he says, go and borrow, go out. Go outside. Sometimes you're going to have to get outside of your comfort zone a little bit so that you can get in a position where God can start to move in your life. Sometimes you have to go outside of the place that you're comfortable with in order to meet up with God. It's not that God's not in your comfort zone, but there's something that he has for you that's outside of your comfort zone, and he wants you to go meet him out there. Get outside. Go out in the fresh air. That's what I keep telling my kids. Get outside. It's warm enough now. Put on a jacket if you have to. Get out. The thing that God wants to do in our lives is always, always, capital A, capital L, capital ways. <laughs> Take too long to spell it at that pace. The thing God wants to do in your life is always outside of your comfort zone. Do you want to know why? Because your comfort zone represents everything you can control. Your little circle or square, oval, parallelogram, or rectangle of comfort, even a triangle, some of you are three-sided, Your little comfort zone is always defined by what you can control. That's why it's comfortable. I love to be at my house every Sunday afternoon for nap time. It's part of my routine. Leave here, go somewhere, eat too much food, go home, turn on the TV, be asleep in 30 seconds. Happens every time, I'm telling you, like clockwork. Why do I love that environment so much? Because it's restful, yes, but it's because I can control it. I can lock the front door. Nobody is going to come and bother me, except for my dog. But I can put him outside and lock the door too. Get behind me, Satan. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Everything that's in our comfort zone represents the things that we can control. And the reality is that if you don't let go of the things you can control, 
It limits God and his ability to do things for you that are outside of your control. Faith always has to let go at some point. It's like the, it's like the, the trapeze artist. Y'all familiar with the trapeze artist? They swing far and wide, high above the crowd. And if they're going to do some tricks and flips in the air, they have to let go of the trapeze they're on in order to get to the trapeze where they're going to land, and they do the trick in the air, and the, the middle part is where the faith happens. They don't need faith to be on the comfortable swing that they're on, and they won't need faith once they land on the swing on the other side. They'll need it for the gap. Faith always has to let go of what's comfortable in order for you have to have the opportunity to go to what's next. So the first thing he says is, go outside. Go out of your comfort zone. This is why the devil works so hard to keep us comfortable with the status quo. This is why society, watch out, this is why society teaches you to cope with your issues instead of overcome them. You'll always cope what you're comfortable with. I'll just leave that there. God wants to teach you to overcome something in your life. What did Isabel say when she was up there? What was the lie of the enemy that, that, that was whispered in her ear all the time? This is your life. Just deal with it. Cope is a four-letter word in our household. I'm not meant to cope. I'm meant to overcome. I'm not meant to just cope here in the wilderness. There's a promised land waiting for me. Come on, y'all. The second thing he says is go borrow vessels from your neighbor. What does that tell me? What is that, what is that, what's the example or the illustration or the principle there? Get around some people that are willing to get close to you in tough times. Man, I thought I would have got a few more amens on that one. Y'all must have it great. That's awesome. Praise God. No problems, no issues. Hallelujah. No, don't isolate yourself. Get around some people. Go to your neighbor's. Go find some people that are willing to associate with you when you're in a jam. Oftentimes, God's going to use those people closest to you to help work a miracle in your life. Don't isolate. God said it's not good for man to be alone. It's, that principle is still true. No man is an island. No woman's an island. No family should be on their own. Don't isolate. Be willing to get close to some folks. Go out and find your neighbors. Get out of your comfort zone. That's where your neighbors are. God's going to use them to help you. Then notice what he says. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Watch this. Empty vessels. Empty vessels. What does this speak to me as I read this? What do I, what do I see when I see this? Sometimes you need to come to God empty. What do I mean by that? Get rid of everybody else's opinions. Get rid of comparison. Stop trying to rely on what you bring to the equation. Note that the vessels had to be empty. They had to be cleared. Why? So that there was room for God to do a miracle. But I'm here to tell you, when we come to the table talking about all the, the good, valid, you know, valid things we bring to the equation, well, God, here's why I think you can move in my life. I'm really good at time management. Oh, God, you know what? <laughs> I know I got this big need, but here's the deal. I've been super good and diligent with my finances, so I know you can do something good in my life. No, can you just lay all your gold medals off to the side for just a second? 
Because the Bible says that we come to Jesus and when we come to him, our righteousness is, is like filthy rags to God. Our righteousness stinks to high heaven to God. So when we come to him, we have to come on the basis of the blood of Jesus, not on the basis of our own merit, our own accomplishments, our own thoughts, our own patterns, our own habits, all the good gold stars we got uh, growing up in the faith, you know. Lord Jesus, I know you love me because I've been such a good person. Get out of here. Empty vessels. God's not going to do, God, God, that, listen, he just doesn't need to check your resume when he wants to do a miracle in your life. You're applying for a miracle, not a job. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice, here's where the expectation happens. Are you ready? Go borrow vessels from everywhere, all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Here's where expectation gets really, really important. This is the place where she determined how abundant God's blessing would be in her life. Now, before you get angry at me and say, that's not, that's not Bible, it totally is. We're totally reading about it. it I mean, really. We're, we're absolutely reading about it. She was the one who determined how abundant the blessing would be. Now listen, the, God's blessing is perfect. It would be just as blessed if she had two, two jars of oil as if she had 20. That oil would be just as anointed. It just wouldn't be as much. She determined what the limitations and the borders of the miracle were going to be. And... If that's not exciting enough, you need to remember that she did this under an inferior covenant with God. The Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews that the covenant we have with God is better than the covenant that Israel had with God. So if she could get God to do something like this in her life under an inferior covenant, what in the world can you and God do? Woo! Do not limit the Lord with a small expectation. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that when they crossed into the promised, or when they wanted to cross into the promised land, they could not because they limited the Holy One of Israel, the Bible says. They couldn't cross into the promised land and that whole generation had to die in the wilderness. Why? Because of small thinking. Because of small expectations. Oh Lord, there's giants in the land. Think about how stupid that must sound to God. There's giants in the land. I created the land and the giants. Do you ever wonder if God just sits there and just laughs at us a little bit? Just chuckle like, oh, you poor silly fool. I love you anyways, baby. Don't limit God with small expectation. Now watch, let's keep going. When you have come in, verse 4, when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you. You and, I read this wrong. When you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels, set aside the full ones. What is significant about this? God will always tell you what he wants you to do with what he's provided for you. Always. 
He'll always tell you exactly what he wants you to do with the miracle. Because here's a hint. The miracle's rarely just for you. We're going to see evidence of that here in just a moment. Verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. She poured it out. What is the significance of this verse? Why is this special? Because she obeyed. She did exactly what God told her to do. And in her obedience, she was expressing her faith and her belief. Charles Spurgeon, writing about this verse, said this. She did what she was commanded to do. She did it in faith. And the result answered the end. God takes care to deliver his servants in ways that exercise their faith. I want you to pay attention to that for a second. This isn't Bible. This is Charles Spurgeon, and it's really good. God takes care to deliver his servants in ways that exercise their faith. He would not have them be little in faith, for faith is the wealth of the heavenly life. Charles Spurgeon. Circa 18-something. She obeyed in faith. Now, verse 6. It came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. When did the oil cease? Just past her expectation. The oil would have ceased if there was two cans. Cans, not the bird. The oil would have ceased if there was four cans, or five, or twenty, or a hundred. The Bible does not make reference to this detail by accident, there's a principle at work here. The only thing, the only thing, everybody say only. The only thing that caused the oil to stop flowing was that there were no more jars to hold it. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. God is not wasteful, neither is he stingy. God is not wasteful, neither is he stingy. He will fill 100% of whatever we make available for him to fill. Whatever your expectation is for God in your personal life, whatever expectation you have put on God in your family life, and let's, let's build it out here, whatever expectation we as a church body place on God is exactly what he will do for us. We think faith is so mysterious. It's just not. It's just us being willing to get outside our comfort zone, get around some other people that are interested in helping us out when times get tough. Ask and inquire, God, what do you want me to do? Because he'll tell you exactly what he wants you to do with the miracle when it happens. And then we go, and then we go, okay, how much of this miracle are we expecting to happen in our lives? Let's go gather up some jars. 
Let's go out and get some stuff. Let's go prepare for the miracle. It's amazing to me because so many times in Scripture we see, we see the word like suddenly or immediately thrown around. You know, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. We read that last week. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind and filled the house where they were sitting. We see things like suddenly and immediately in Scripture, but what we fail to recognize sometimes is that there was preparation that led to the suddenly. There was the gathering of jars. There was getting 120 people into the upper room in the book of Acts and praying together for a long time before the power came. There's always some preparation, and that is our faith and our expectation working together to prepare for what God will do. God's not wasteful, neither is he stingy. He will accommodate exactly what we expect of him. And can I tell you something? He's always looking for us to expect more. Always. Always. Do you remember when, 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 the, uh, when the prophet came to the king, when Elijah went to the king? And, and, and they were getting ready to go into war, into battle. And God, the, the, excuse me, the, the king inquired of Elijah. I'm trying to remember, make sure I get my facts straight so somebody doesn't fact check me online. Um, God went, the, 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 the king went to the man of God to inquire whether or not they would win the war, whether or not they would win the battle. And, and Elijah told him to take a bundle of arrows and strike the ground. And that as many times as he struck the ground would determine the level of their win of, in the battle, the level of their victory in the battle. And the king struck the ground three times. What happened? Elijah got angry with him and said, why did you only strike the ground three times? Why not five? Why not ten? Why not a hundred? God is not intimidated by your willingness to, to expand what you're believing him for. He's just not intimidated by that. Again, he makes planets. He speaks and stars come out. Not intimidated. But he does get a little agitated with our small thinking sometimes. Yeah, I'll just leave that there. The only limit that was placed on God's provision in this story was the limit of her expectation. That's it. Verse 7. This is the last verse. Then she came and told the man of God. What did he say? Go and sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. This is probably my favorite verse in this whole passage. Why? Because this verse shows the long-term residual effects of when God works in your life. So cool. God didn't just get her out of this situation. God didn't just, oh, you know, grace will give you just enough to cover the need. No, he wasn't issue, he wasn't concerned. God wasn't concerned with just covering her need. He was concerned with accommodating her expectation. You see, a lot of us think that that need is what moves God. It's not. Need is not what moves God. Miracles happen when there's faith applied. 
and when expectation meets faith. God's not moved by need. Can I tell you something else? God's not moved by faith. You are. God's not moved by need. Listen, if God was moved by need, everybody in the world would get saved today and Jesus would come back by dinner. Otherwise, he would be an unjust God. I mean, good Lord. If God, if, if God was moved simply by our need, there's enough need around the planet right now that God would, I mean, God would have to go into overtime to respond to all the need. God's not moved by need. That's obvious. And actually, he's not actually moved by faith either. We are. When we put faith in God, it puts us in a position to be able to receive what he has already made available to us. Verse 7 shows the long-term residual effects of one miracle. God touched this lady's life once, and look what it did for her. He didn't just bail her out of her need. He put her into the olive oil business. I mean, he did. He gave her something to sell, making her an economic blessing to her community. She settled her debt, and God brought an end to the lack in her life. He said, take this precious oil, sell some in the community, pay off your debts, and live on the rest. Put her into the olive oil business, Frankie. He didn't just bail her out relative to her need. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going to pay your debt, but don't get pushy. Don't ask for too much. All right, I'm God. I've got a lot of stuff going on. He didn't, he didn't do that with her. He said, you determine how big the blessing is going to be in your life. Expect the biggest thing you can. I'll fill all of it. Now, take the part that meets your need. Go sell that. Take care of the debt. You and your sons are now secure. And guess what? You're in the olive oil business. Live off the rest. God set her and her family up to be sustained for the long haul. The miracle that God wants to do in you always has a ripple effect, guys. Always. When God starts, what God starts in us, it's not designed to stop in us. As we close, can I ask, can I leave you with this question? Multiple questions. What if she had not inquired of God's prophet? What if instead of asking what needed to be done, what if she just succumbed to discouragement? I mean, is this not a discouraging situation she found herself in? My husband's dead. The creditors are going to come take my sons. I'm going to be left with nothing and no way to support myself. I'm an economic disaster. This is a problem. I'm discouraged. What if she had stayed in that situation and succumbed to the discouragement? I don't ask that question to make light of anyone's discouragement, but to simply show you that there's actually another option. There's another option. You don't have to live discouraged your whole life. You don't have to live under the weight of what was. 
You don't have to live under the burden of whatever's happened to you. Your life doesn't have to be defined by what's happened to you. Amen? What if she hadn't inquired of God? Second question, what if she had not taken his advice? What if she had not taken his advice? See, this is where where religion gets in and just wedges itself between us and the miracle. What if she had not taken his advice? Do what? Oil jars? You kidding me? Surely you must be kidding. No, you want me to go talk to my neighbors? I haven't spoken to them in years. I hate that guy who lives across the street from me. His dog poops in my yard all the time. You want me to go talk to him? And get vessels from his house? I mean, can we make it really practical for just a second? Imagine that this is you. Picture yourself in your neighborhood with your neighbors. What if she hadn't heeded his advice? Oh, what if she had just sat around with her sons and thought, that prophet, man, the nerve on that guy. The nerve. Telling me to waste my last bit of oil pouring it into some other people's jars. Are you kidding me? I thought he was God's servant. I thought he was supposed to be a help to this community. Here he is asking me to do something uncomfortable. No way am I going to... No, give me a break. What if, she, what, if she, what if she'd have mocked God's solution? Can I tell you, God's solution will always be uncomfortable to your flesh. Oh man, I'm telling you. God's solution will always be uncomfortable in your flesh. God's solution will always be get up when you're laying down. God's solution will always be stop talking when you're in the middle of talking. God's solution will always be start talking when you don't want to talk. Whatever it is you don't want to do, oftentimes that's where God meets you. What if she had just just refused to obey? She'd have died. Her boys would have been taken. This story wouldn't have a happy ending. Last question. What if she'd only gotten one jar or two jars? She probably would have gotten enough to cover the debt, but not enough to live. Not enough to be a blessing to the community. What if she'd have said, well, all I have is three jars, so we're just going to have to work with what I have. What if she'd have gotten in her head and thought, well, the limitation is, man, we only got got three jars. I guess we'll have to cram it into there. Or, you know, the building only seats 243. We've only got 96 chairs. There's only four spaces for us to put kids downstairs. There's only this amount of money in the bank account. I don't know enough people in this community. I don't, you know, we're just going to have to work with what we got. Don't, don't sell yourself short of what God wants to do in your life. Don't sell yourself short of what God wants to do in your family. Let's not sell ourselves short of what God wants to do in Hope Church. There is no limitation because our dad owns the universe. 
going to preach on that one day. I've been threatening to do so for a couple years now. I'm going to do a series at some point. It's going to be called My Dad Owns the Universe. And it's going to be all about the fact that there is no limit with God. That there's no limit. And when there's no limit with him, there's no excuse for us. God bless. When there's no limit with him, there should be no excuse for us. If you would stand up to your feet. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.